What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin, the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. And I am Scott's favorite co-host, Ben Bolin, uh, video writer and podcaster here at the self-same website. Favorite co-host. I like that. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that's true. De facto, it's least. true. Hey, um, first thing, I'm a little stuffed up, so you may may uh, hear that along the way here. I apologize for that. Hopefully, it'll clear up soon, really mm. soon, uh, but uh, more than usual anyways. Um, <laughs> one thing, Ben, I, I wanted to tell you about something. This is something I came in kind of excited about a couple weeks ago. Yes. And there's a reason for it. Um, I mentioned that I had, I had stopped by an auction house here in town, uh, kind of a high-end auction house, and I just window peeping because they had... Um, uh, you know, they have online, they, they list a number of vehicles for sale. And this is where I saw, um, at one point they had several, uh, good humor ice cream trucks parked outside. They often have a lot of roasters, um, you know, just really unique antique vehicles parked cool. outside. And, um, not that I can afford to, you know, go and pick up a vehicle at auction, at auction at any one of these places, but, um, I was looking in the window one weekend mm-hmm. and <laughs> I saw this car in the, behind the glass. And it was right in the showroom, which I thought was kind of strange to begin with. It wasn't in the garage area in the back. And uh, what I thought was really weird about this car was that it's kind of this combination boat-car thing, but then it also had an airplane propeller attached to the front of it. Ah, a propeller-driven vehicle? A propeller-driven vehicle. Now, was this uh, uh, on the front or the back? It was on the front of the vehicle. And I've got a photo of this thing here for you. Because I was able to find the artist's website. And you may have just noticed that I said artist because I just blew it, I guess. But um, I went back when this place was open. Wow. And I looked at – I walked in and went immediately over to the vehicle. And I started looking at it and I realized there was a lot of things not quite right about it. Okay, there's a – first of all, it's on what looks like bicycle wheels. Yeah. They're white bicycle wheels with real, real thin wheels. tires. But the proportions of this vehicle almost make it look uh, appropriate. I mean, it seems like mm-hmm. that might be right. This this thing's big, by the way. It looks like an old silver and and wood and clad boat 
Um, it has like a real, real strange look to it. It's almost yeah. like a tube with flat pontoons on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of chrome, lots of, uh, I guess it's nickel maybe. Uh, but it does have headlights. It does have, you know, four wheels or three wheels rather. Mm-hmm. It's got one wheel in the back. It's a tadpole configuration. There's a prop at the front, uh, a big airplane prop at the front and a tiny little one at the back, which is kind of just, I don't know, decorative. It looks like. Okay. So this thing confused me all around, right? You can see why. Yeah, it's, it's a confusing big. vehicle. It's pretty big. That's uh, the top of the windshield there is about waist high. Uh, but it does have a seat for the driver and the throttle. I don't know if you can tell, but there's no steering wheel. It just looks like uh, boat controls, like maybe throttle for boat controls. It has two of them side by side. Curiouser and curiouser. Very strange, right? Yeah. And then I started looking at this thing and I realized that there's very little clearance between the prop and the ground. And it didn't look like it was really... All that, uh, it didn't look like it was big enough to propel this thing. It's not functional. It's a sculpture. This car is a sculpture. No way. So it had me fooled through the glass. And then, you know, closer still had me a little bit fooled, but not quite, because I thought something's not right. Then I asked the, uh, the proprietor there, and they said, no, it's a, a sculpture that we're going to be auctioning off. And just so everyone knows, you have to get up pretty early in the morning to fool Scott Benjamin. I mean that literally. The last time I fooled Scott, I had to get in the office at 445. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you did fool me pretty good with that. It was all right. No, this, uh, so this vehicle, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it even now and I'm thinking like, I see this thing actually on the road, like working, but I mean, it's very, um, frail looking, I guess you'd be the way to put yeah, it. Yeah, especially at the wheels. Yeah. And, and if you want to, yeah. if you want to take a look at this thing, the artist's name is Philip Stapleton, and the uh, the piece is called the Parisian Roadster. Um, it's difficult to find online, and the website is really tough to to go through. It's not very well laid out. And um, anyways, he's done a few of these. One looks like a bumper car. Another one looks like a um, I think they call it Bonneville. It looks like kind of a land speed type car, but they all have this wood and and nickel design to them. Um, not really functioning cars, but mm-hmm. more sculpture anyways. But So this got me excited because when I found it and before I knew it wasn't a real car, I started looking around for prop-driven cars. Because ah. it does look like a car from, I mean, this looks like it's like a 70-year-old car. Yes, like at a, least. Like a really neat-looking 70-year-old car. Yeah. Well, there's a there's this uh, this period of time in uh, in French history when... Prop-driven cars were somewhat of a thing. They were uh, they were coming around like uh, you know people were saying. Well, one one guy was building several of these in a row, saying this may be the next thing, the next yeah. way to power our cars. So um, I don't know. I was kind of thinking that maybe this was an ex- a living example of one of these, but not the case. Now we should go ahead and say that. Well, I should say at least because this is more my bad. Uh, when Scott first told me about this, uh, I had no idea, my friend, that propeller-driven vehicles went back so far yeah. or were so numerous during their time. Oh, yeah. there were Actually, there were several of these. And, I mean, if you look around, you could find old, old, you know, modern mechanics articles, popular science articles. Yeah. And I've got a few of these in front of me here. Um, you know, some go back to the 1930s. Some go back mm. farther than that. I know that – I think the Germans were experimenting with one um, – Early 1900s. Yeah, we've got, uh, we both, it looks like we both got some, uh, we're both packing some lists here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just a few. Yeah, you wanna, do you wanna kick it off or you want me to? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, um, probably the one that you'd be able to find the, the, uh, the simplest online, the one that you mm-hmm. would be able to, to see and maybe even find a YouTube video of this thing running mm-hmm. is, uh, and it's, this is by, in, by no means in any order. <laughs> it will <laughs> right. be maybe later, right. but um, there's one called the, I'm going to pr- try to pronounce this, Helicron. 
Ah, uh, yes, yes, is that yes. Right? Uh, I I think that's close enough. Your um, came out in 1932, right? Yeah, that's right. This yeah, is the yeah. wooden one, right? The wooden. Yes. It's wooden and blue. The the metal's blue. You got a picture of it in front of you as yeah. well. Um, this is one. This is a barn find. That's what blew things. me away. Yeah. I, I know it's one of the. It's one of these that. Remember, I mentioned that uh, you know in France there was this this uh, this guy that was building these vehicles, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna run across his name in just a moment here. Um, but uh, let's see. It was uh, this this example, this Helicron, the one that you'll find online all over the place. Yeah. Um, this was hidden in a barn. Of course, it was uh, it was just parked. You know, by someone in the 1930s and just <laughs> left there. Really, it's one of those stories. Um, it says that it has a, a two a two cylinder four stroke engine mm-hmm. um, that was replaced with a four cylinder air cooled Citron GS engine, and the propeller, which actually drives the vehicle, is uh, just a great big wooden propeller in the front, and it can reach speeds up to 75 miles per hour, and it's still considered legal on French roads. On which, Paris roads, I should say. Which is baffling for two reasons. Primarily, it's baffling that it's still street legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, darily, excuse me, that it's it's also <laughs> very baffling when you just look at the propeller to think that that would drive the vehicle because there are only two props in the propeller and they're both um, sort of encircled. Yeah, two, arm, two arms on two the propeller. Arms, excuse right. me, sorry. No, that's right. Yeah, two arms, but they're both encircled, and it, it's huge. It is huge. It it's, is huge. It's huge. This thing, and it it really drives. I've watched this thing online on the video. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't. Oh, that's one thing about these things, you know. And I should mention this early off is that um, they do have some downsides. Oh yeah, and oh, you know, one other quick thing while we're talking about this: these are not these aren't flying cars. No, because you know, some these may be, be uh, somehow confused with. Uh, might be confused somehow with flying cars. They're not flying cars. These are cars that are driven by props on the ground. Okay? Yeah, they, so they're just, just different propulsion systems. Just to get that out of the way. Yeah, different propulsion. But um, they do have some downsides. One of those is slow acceleration, and you'll see that in this video mm-hmm. uh, if you watch the, the Helicron video. Um, apparently, they had poor fuel economy, although I've seen something that has uh, contradicted that, that they get, you know, this is in the 50s, they were getting 30 or 40 miles per gallon. Yeah, there's some conflicting data out there. I think what may what may be causing that conflict of you know fuel economy stats is probably the lack of documentation for a lot of these vehicles. Oh, could be. So no one was really concerned with the fuel economy of these things at the time, not? anyways. This was back um, when you could kick a rock and find an oil spout. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Shooting at some food. I think I know the guy that we were talking about. Oh wait, let's do downsides. Oh yeah, downside and the uh, the the other. Just a couple more. Um, terribly noisy. I mean, these things are. I mean, it's like well, it's it's being like in an open open pick, open right. cockpit. There you go. There you got it. Yeah. Open cockpit airplane, um, and also the danger aspect of these things because you've got an open prop right in front of you. Some mm-hmm. of them have a uh, um, a small cage built out of what looks like chicken wire around them. Yeah. That's not going to protect anything. It didn't look like a propeller. No, these stopper. are uh, these are pedestrian choppers if I've ever seen them because. Huge plane. I mean, we're talking about like a overall length of these things, like maybe a seven foot prop, yeah. eight foot prop, easily in front of the car or behind the car, depending mm-hmm. on the, the design. Um, yeah, dangerous, very dangerous. I, I just personally would want. This is why I asked earlier about the original uh, art piece that spawned this podcast because I don't like the idea of it being behind a prop, a moving prop, mm-hmm. and a car. Going at a high speed, not into it. Yeah, the uh, same thing with like an airboat. You know mm-hmm. those big airboats. Yeah, yeah. 
kind of a irrational fear of those that you know you'd fly back into the uh, the, uh, the the prop on those. You get sucked in. But it's the same thing. I mean, if you <laughs> yeah. look at it, its pr- proportion, is the same on that. I mean, that's this that's the type of propeller, the size of propeller we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they often had they didn't have radial engines. I don't think. You know, there may have been. I'm not going to say they didn't. There probably right. was one or two that did, uh, because there were a lot of people experimenting with these, but. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes they would use just a standard automobile engine to, uh, to power the prop. And, um, I don't know. It just seems like overall seems like a bad idea to me. Well, that is true. I would say for private vehicles. Okay. For cars. But before we move from cars, we need to, we need to bring back, um, the guy that we were talking about earlier, Marcel Leat. Ah, uh, that's the guy, Ben. That was the guy. He built 30 vehicles. And apparently, there's only two of these things left. Yeah, two uh, helicas. Oh, two really? I, are, are they helicas? I think. Yeah, cool. That left. That's cool. Oh. I didn't. I didn't know because he had several different designs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Helica maybe just a general term for these. Maybe things. Maybe that is. Um, but between 1913 and 1926, he built 30 vehicles mm-hmm. like this. So they they were out there, and uh, he wasn't the only one doing this. I mean, there were uh, Maybach was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other designs too. There was a um, it was an Isetta that had a prop to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a Messerschmitt that had a prop, so the Germans were doing that. Um, and there was also an Argentinian car called the Aero Car that they were actually talking about building in California in the 1950s. Um, one of the things that they decided was just not possible was because you're going to have this car in a densely populated area like Los Angeles. Sure. And you've got a six-foot prop on the back of this car that's spinning at speeds that they would be in, like, an airplane. Mm. Uh, just not safe. Especially, you know, if you are at an intersection and you're in stop-and-go traffic. Yeah. It's just not feasible because of the acceleration time. Oh, sure, that too. Yeah. And, well, what if a motorcycle rolls up behind you and doesn't stop in time? Wow. Well, I guess... Sliced and diced. Things could get ugly, yeah. yeah. But um, also we should mention the Russians were doing a lot with the – they had the Aerosan, uh, which is like turn of the century, 1910s, 1909, Mm -hmm. aught nine, I could say. Very cool. Can we call this aught 11 now because it's like a zero in front of it? I guess so. I don't want to look like a jerk. But uh, yeah, the the Russians had these things that look sort of like – Snowmobiles or ski mobiles with a prop at the front or the rear. Very cool. And this is, if you think about it, um, you really get some bang for your buck if you have a prop driven snow vehicle, mm-hmm. just because you don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry as much about some of the mechanics that come into play when you're rolling tires on a surface. Ah, that's another one of the benefits of the cars too, um, is that you don't have to worry about wheel spin. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've got, you got no transmission, no clutch, mm-hmm. often no brakes on these things. Um, unless there's secondary brakes, you know, where, uh, airspeed, you're trying to control airspeed with the prop. Mm-hmm. Well, airspeed, I guess it'd be <laughs> ground speed at this point, yeah. but, um, brakes would be completely secondary if necessary at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's another thing they said that, you know, they can tra- traverse, uh, snow covered, uh, mud covered pathways with no problems at all. And I guess it fits, fits in perfectly with, uh, snowmobiles. Yeah. Um, this one that I'm looking at is on four skis. Yes. And it's got a machine gunner in the front. 
it was um it was a rough time in Russia. I guess so, yeah. yeah. They they conventionally, from what I understand, they use these uh toward the far east, uh Siberia, Trans Siberian area, uh for things like mail delivery, border patrol. So the one we're looking at is probably for border patrol. And that's called the Aerosan? Uh-huh. Aerosan? Yeah. Hmm. Very cool. And uh then they also would use it for medical transport. Ah. But it doesn't stop there with, it doesn't stop with cars. There's a guy named George, uh, Benny in the 1920s who built something called a rail plane. And remember we were talking earlier about this thing in New Zealand where yeah. you pedal? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. think of the name of that in a minute. Oh, gosh. It's a cool name. Yeah, it is. I'll, I'll try it. <laughs> we'll, we'll get, we'll get back on that one. But, uh, yeah, check this out, Scott. It's a propeller driven monorail and originally wanted it to go between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, so it had a four blade propeller, but this is interesting because it was on each side. Oh, neat. And people were really going to build this track, but again, safety concerns got in the way. A lot of the propellers that you'll see on these propeller driven vehicles are built of wood. Ah, and okay. So durability can come into play. This there. one, this looks like a, uh, it's like a truss built over top of a conventional railway. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So they, uh, they had the routes already laid out. They kind of already had oh, uh, infrastructure. So there. they just add to the existing, uh, track, um, I don't know, just the, the infrastructure that's already there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, they've got this rail. That's really cool. So they're kind of tracing the line, but it's like a monorail car hanging upside down. Yes, it is yeah. exactly like my, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, oh, I almost had that New Zealand word. Oh, oh man. man. Yeah. Squeegee. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we- it. Weedle. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> <Weedle. laughs> I don't know. But the thing is, these, um, these things had, uh, electric power and they had a cruising speed, according to the sources I found, in excess of a hundred miles per hour. Whoa. So talk about public transit, right? Yeah. But it's all good until what, the, and what year was this? This was, I believe this was 1920s. And couldn't nail down the exact a cruising year. speed of 100 miles per hour. I know. Hour? It's essentially a high speed train. Wow. Or as far as function goes for consumers. Yeah. Um, but again, the safety concerns, cause no insurer would help them out. All you need is one arm of one prop flying off. Oh yeah. And it, especially those speeds, it could damage the track. It could do, it could wreak havoc. Below. Oh, sure, because it throws everything off balance. And if this thing is hanging below the track, mm-hmm. it's going to start swinging and swaying and hit one of the supports and then, uh, mayhem and madness. And it's going 120 miles an hour. Exactly. Yeah. That would be a bad scene. That's for sure. You know, the cars were equally fast. They, uh, mm-hmm. that's the, the crazy thing about these is that they accelerate slowly because, you know, they have to get all of that mass moving. Um, However, they did have a high top speed. In fact, one of them, I think in 1927, um, was able to, to, uh, created a new land speed record. Yeah, it topped, uh, French uh, track. Mm-hmm. It topped, uh, 145, I think. I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, I think it was given in kilometers. So maybe oh, kilometers. Okay. Kilom- yeah. Let maybe me call like that. Maybe it been like 170 kilometers or something like that. We'll have yeah. to look, we'll have to look it up here in a minute. We're, but, we're checking through that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's a helica. Oh, really? Yeah, it reached 170 kilometers there. Very cool. uh, Monsieur Leat, who built these, had uh, also went on to design planes. So a lot of his designs very much look like someone took a body of a plane. Makes sense. Yeah, and did some, did some, uh. I can see a plane outline in that vehicle mm -hmm. right there, the, uh, the high speed vehicle. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely has that picture. Um, the, 
for me, the, the big daddy of these things has been when they take them to the rails. Um, we mentioned it earlier, um, and I think this one is, is one that might be close to your heart, Scott, ever since our rocket sled on rails, uh, podcast, the, um, was the rail Zeppelin? Ah, yes. I've seen pictures of that one. That's really cool looking. The same guy that, uh, that designed the Zeppelin, the air Zeppelins, right? Yeah. Yeah. What was his name? Uh, oh. I got it right here. It was, um, <laughs> you know what? Let me get through my notes here, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Talk to yourself, Ben. All right. So oh, Frank, uh, Crutchenberg. Frank Crutchenberg. Also okay. responsible for designing Zeppelin airships. Mm-hmm. Very cool. It makes me wonder what I'm doing with my life. Had a BMW <laughs> aircraft engine. Yeah. And it apparently it's, it was incredibly large too. I mean, I'm assuming because it's a, well, you know what? Engine. Maybe not so much. Let me show you something. What's that? Take a look at that photo right there with a human standing next to you. Ah, to put it to scale. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, it, it looks, it has, it has the, um, I don't know how the proportions of being a huge vehicle. And when you hear that it's made by the designer of Zeppelins, you think massive vehicles. But sure. when you look at a human next to it there, it looks like the thing is probably about five feet tall. Yeah, the five person standing next to it is taller standing up. Large prop on the back, but very streamlined design. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you can imagine, very fast. I mean, it went, what, 145 miles an hour again? Yes, Something yes, like that. in on 1931. The rails, on the rails in 1931. That's incredible. That That's so incredible that one of the big questions we had to ask ourselves while we're researching this is what went wrong? I mean, this access to this kind of speed and velocity is yeah. just um, – excuse me. This kind of speed, um, if not acceleration, is just amazing, especially for public transit – and the question is, were the drawbacks and the dangers really so high that well, it precluded it? That and, uh, as from what I'm reading here, World War II. World War II. World War II put a stop to a lot of this, and that was mm-hmm. just simply because, you know, the designs sat on a drawing board somewhere, they were put in a file, mm-hmm. and uh, just filed away. Um, I think that the, the danger aspect of it, the downsides far exceeded the, uh, you know, the, just because the, the, uh, the, uh, the danger aspect of this thing, you know, yeah. the, the, um, the, the potential for something to go terribly wrong with these, um, that far outweighed the benefits were, of course, the high speed and, you know, possibly the efficiency of something like this. But yeah, the, the world, uh, the, the World War II, um, the onset of World War II, I should say, yeah. uh, just pretty much killed all of this mm. in, in its infancy and then it never came back. Yeah, because by that time, now, as most people know, the, thing about large-scale war is that a lot of times it does lead to the creation of new technology. Mm -hmm. Um, But it leads to a sort of myopic concentration because you tend to create things that will help you win a war versus things that will help you uh, address concerns. Like the concern of about oil uh, is much bigger now, right? than it was. So these were probably not as attractive. And a lot of these were still, you know, there were still gas powered vehicles. Sure. So, uh, depending, you know, as, as you and I have said, we don't, we don't know for sure how efficient or inefficient these vehicles were, but I can't help but think, Scott, that we as, we as people, as the human race, kind of missed the boat on this because now there are high-speed trains, maglevs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot build a propeller big enough. Well, you know, we've we've 
but you know we've passed this i guess we've, yeah. we've, uh, we've gone past the point where these may be you know viable form of transportation or something that you know we would want to see on the road um like we said we talked about danger we keep talking about danger but um looking at this car that you know i i said that they went away and they never came back but they did come back briefly I mean, there are people that still try to do things like this because, you know, the wind, you know, trying to harness wind power and things sure, like that. But, yeah. but, um, you know, the Argentinian aero car that I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to show you a photo of it, but it looks like a, um, it looks a bit like a Tucker almost in its design. It's kind of a cool looking design. And I think I kind of wish I w- would have been able to see one of these in person, yeah. you know, maybe even a museum or something, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Um, but there was another one that came around and there was a, a car at Jalopnik. You ever go to that website? I did not check them for okay. this stuff. I All should right. they've have. Got, well, they've got you know interesting blog posts, from, mm-hmm. you know, here and there. A lot of photos. They found a car on eBay that was a. Uh, it's called a Jetstream, I believe. And uh, again, I'm going to search through my notes and make a lot of noise here as I do this. But um, <laughs> it's it's a. I got to say, it's kind of a Mad Max looking type vehicle. And let me just make sure it's called a a Jetstream oh, propeller wow. car. And it's it was a, built in 1985. It's a kit car. And, um, has the prop in the back. Really strange looking vehicle. They have one that's, you know, completely made up that's painted in white, you know, from the factory and, you know, made to look really yeah, nice. I, see I believe one. the one that was for sale on eBay at the time is the, uh, the rust colored one there that's, uh, oh. probably just gel coat or something like that. I bet it's fiberglass if I had to bet. I, man, I want one of these. It's, it's kind of neat looking. The thing looks like it's about 25 feet long. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. big, big car. And it has kind of that 1980s uh, futuristic look to it, you know. Yeah, it uh, does, but, especially with that paint job. Yeah, back to the future type look to it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's interesting. Can you know, like a bubble canopy top, post-apocalyptic man. Yeah, it's really a strange-looking vehicle. Wedge shape in the front, really yeah, weird. But it's uh, a one-seater. So it comes back here and there. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always going to be someone that's tinkering around their garage, or mm-hmm. you know, someone that uh, decides they're going to try to to build a. Uh, I don't know, like a kit car type company that would, that would make something like this. There's another thing, though, that people are doing. Oh, wait, this is what I wanted. Scott and I try to make surprises for each other sometimes. <laughs> we pass around. But I think you already have oh, this Oh, yeah, yeah, I have. Okay. And that, I'm, but you know what? I'm glad you brought that out because that's an interesting one, too. That's a guy right here in Georgia. Yes. So a uh, Georgia mechanic named B.F. Ponder um, when when was this? You know, this, is, this was. Keep reading. I'll tell you yeah. when it was because I got a note here. All right, Scott, you've got me on this, but he, this is a an archived uh, clipping from newspaper. Yeah, that, Modern Mechanics mm-hmm. from 1934. 19. Thank you, Scott. You're 1934. Oh man. Um. So this prop driven car, 1984, hit 85 miles. 1934, per hour. man. 34. 50 years prior. Oh gosh. So this is a long time. I mean, when yeah, you when you look sorry. at the car, it looks like a Model A or something, or Model mm-hmm. T. Yeah, it does. It does. And it looks, you know what? It looks like the front half of a model you know or Model T. It looks like a Model T because it has the wooden wheels. That's why. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so this guy took a four-bladed airplane propeller and just mounted it on the auto chassis. And so he managed. I, I love how they say that. Like yeah. it was so simple. It just mounted it on. The just put it on. Yeah, just right. you know, snap. It's a snap. Never on. mind that prop shaft that goes through the passenger compartment out mm-hmm. the back end where he tore the back end off the car. Pay no attention. Yeah, that was easy. That's the man behind the curtain, Very right there. Easy. So people have like a lot of a lot of these things were driven by independent inventors. And the create and this thing. I mean, you look at it. It's, it's silly looking, but it worked, and it went eighty five miles per hour with. 
nothing driving the wheels other than you mm-hmm. know the propeller pushing you through the air. Also, no or, windshield. Wait, I keep saying through the air, pushing <laughs> you across the ground. That's <laughs> probably the way to say it, right? Yeah, that's that's probably that's yeah. probably a good. Way no to say windshield. It. Yeah, that's right. Good point. And did you see also? Here's one actually for anybody who wants to make their own propeller thing if you guys are oh yeah what a great idea if you guys are out there listening saying oh scott and ben are such sticks in the mud really? why are you guys i would do it with no safety too i just leave it open prop just wide open yeah why do you even need wheels no. you know no i'm kidding but uh the one thing you can do is you can put a propeller relatively easily attach a propeller to the front of a bicycle what? That's what some of the Germans have done, yeah. Come on. Or have done in the past. I don't mean that, to make, make it sound like every German person does it. Also sounds extremely dangerous. It uh, it doesn't look that safe. Uh, well, what I mean, okay, let's say you hit a curb and your arm goes, you know, you know how you kind of like, your hand slips off the grip and it goes mm. forward? Yeah. You end up like with your arm, you know, your elbow on the brace maybe, or on the, uh, the hand yeah. grip? Yeah. What happens to your hand? Um, I don't know. I guess it's I guess removed if you, from your body. It becomes I guess no if, longer part of your body. Yeah, but if you guys get back together, you've probably both learned a really good lesson. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you got, yeah, um, yeah. But, yes, yeah, so it is a relatively – I had a photo. I, I can't find it to show you, yeah. but it it is um, a relatively simple arrangement to link the, um, the chain from the gear shaft instead of linking it up um, – to instead, of, I'm sorry. Instead of linking it to the wheel from the pedal, you link it from the pedal to the propeller. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. The propeller yeah. drives a novel bicycle. Yeah, and uh, yeah, ridiculously it, dangerous, Ben. It is ridiculously dangerous, but it's so easy to do it. It's so easy to make it. I guess so. I mean, in a we're talking about how dangerous prop-driven cars are, and that's that's with a, a prop five feet in front of you or ten feet in front. Well, yeah. five feet in front of you. Yeah, this is. Within arm's reach. Yeah, I suppose you're right. You know, how, okay, how many times have you, when you were a kid, mm-hmm. how many times did you go over the handlebars onto the ground in front of you? Oh, man. You would have been shredded. I, I like to, you know, memory yeah. gives me rose tinted glasses, and I would like to say I spent more time behind the handlebars than mm-hmm. in front of them, but not I'm not me. sure. Not me. I went over the handlebars many, many times. I would have been shredded the first time I went through. Yeah, you're right. It is dangerous. Very it dangerous. is. It is just like well, having I guess, somebody. You know, that's if you're pedaling like you know super fast too. If you're trying to go 40 miles an hour or something. But that's that's the thing. You almost it's tough because you still have that same acceleration problem. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> maybe maybe it tr- just really hurt that's trying all. to push this propeller down up a hill like yeah. by your by your pedals. Yeah. I've only got one more, and it's really this is, cool. That's crazy. Okay. All right. So. Riddle me this. Uh, how many gas stations are in Antarctica? I'm going to go with um, zero. Ding, ding, ding. Really? Yes. Zero. Uh, well, not gas stations as we understand them. Of course, people have to keep supplies at the research center. But, my friend, have you heard about the Moon Reagan Transarctic Expedition? Believe it or not, I have. I would be, I would be I, disappointed if I had. think we talked about it briefly when mm-hmm. we, uh, when we were talking about, uh, the Arctic vehicles, the, uh, the polar vehicles. Yes. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Do you want another ding, 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 ding? <laughs> <laughs> what, so what's, uh, what about this expedition? Check it out. Wired.com has a great article on a, uh, Lotus concept ice vehicle or CIV. And I want you to, and check this bad boy out here yeah. because this is um, oh, on wow. a 
three ski design and the front ski takes it functions kind of like a braking mechanism it's got some studs and the and it is propeller driven i hope you guys saw that coming mm-hmm. um and these are used as scouts for the vehicles that actually carry the scientists or research teams and their equipment huh now those vehicles themselves are are pretty awesome they've got six wheel drive huge engines 20 speed transmissions um but the CIV is actually so light that the driver or the crew can hop out and just drag it across the terrain if it's no too kidding. rough to ski. This yeah. is a big vehicle too. I'm reading mm-hmm. this. It says it's 15 feet long and 15 feet wide. Yes. It's big. There's some weight distribution really going big. on there, I think. Yeah. But it uses a BMW motorcycle engine for the prop. Which is, you know, I got to be honest with you, for that size, that's surprising. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Boy, that's a neat looking vehicle. I think I'd like that. You'd like to have one? Yeah, I think I would. All right. Well, filed away. Be but good. that's, uh, that's behind you though, too. That's pushing you. Yeah. I would much rather have a prop behind me. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Even though, even with your fear of air boats? Uh, yeah, I think it's all right. Cause it's got a, a, a solid body behind it. Looks like you're, uh, yeah. you're sitting in front of something solid rather than just that, that tiny, you know, thin mesh work that you're in in a airboat. That's the thing. Oh man. That's the thing. How surprised were you? I'm sorry, I'm yelling. Uh, how surprised were you by just the sheer amount of vehicles with no windshield? Yeah. No, uh, protection of any sort well, between you and the I propeller? Guess, again, these are guys just building stuff in a shed in the backyard. You know, they were, they were working with, uh, relatively crude tools, I would assume. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, I was an easier time, Ben. Easier time. I mean, they'd take metal from wherever they could find it and pieces Mm. from other vehicles. And it wasn't like now where, you know, if you're going to bring a prototype out, it better look good. Otherwise, no one's going to pay attention to it. That's true. It was just just dramatic new ideas. It was a different time. Now, I'm going to go ahead and make the call. And I hope somebody, I would love to be wrong about this, Scott. Mm -hmm. Correct me if you can, because I would love to be wrong about it right now on the air. But I have a sneaking suspicion that propeller-driven vehicles are not really going to be on the road or on the rails in the future. I think we are going to see them in Arctic or snowbound conditions. Um, for example, we could have used them this weekend. That's right, with the ice and snowstorm we had. Yeah, it was called a snowpocalypse. <laughs> and for Star Wars fans... Very dramatic. Yeah, I don't know if you heard this, but for Star Wars fans, people have been calling it Hothlanta. Oh boy. Cause that's, the ice planet Hoth and. Oh, that's terrible. Gosh, I'm just digging my hole. Anyway, so I think we'll, we'll see them on the snow and we'll maybe see them in the swampy areas, but those are more boats, you know, the air boats. So like ice boats or something like that, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That's a really good point because <laughs> the, that's, those environments are the only environments where the consequences of using this Admittedly, innovative uh, propulsion system do not outweigh the benefits. Okay, got it. Yeah, I think the, I think you're right. I mean, someplace where you don't need traction, mm-hmm. uh, or where you do need traction, uh, but the, it's probably difficult, or if not impossible, to get on you know sheer ice like we were talking about. Um, yeah, it seems like a reasonable way to get around. No pedestrians, no stop yeah. and go traffic. No pedestrians, nothing really to worry about. Man, the first thing that would happen to me is I would either cut off my hand if I was on the bike <laughs> or I would just, I, I would accidentally get, get 
hit a pedestrian yeah. or get rear-ended or something. See, so, yeah, I guess you don't have to worry about like caribou or something like that. Yes. Maybe a polar yes. bear. Which, uh, apparently, I, apparently, caribou would be startled by the noise. So hopefully they wouldn't just hang out in the way. Yeah, you're right. They would move. Yeah, it's tough out there. Good point. On the tundra. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm pretty much out, man. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I wish there was more about these because, um, you know, with with so few examples existing now, it's going to be hard to even find these in a museum anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, g- good luck finding them. There's only a couple exa- of examples of the, uh, uh, what were they, the Helicraft or Heli- yeah, uh, the, Helicars or yes, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of the reason, but... Um, Helica. Helica. Yeah, Helica. there's only a couple of examples of those around still. Um, private collectors, I believe, own those at this point. Yeah. Um, but you can still find photos of these things online and watch, you can even watch a YouTube video of, uh, of the, that one example that we're talking about, the mm-hmm. 1932 version. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to watch. I, I like looking at stuff like that, you know, these oddities. Yes. From automotive history. It's, it's fun. And we hope that you guys have as much fun looking at it as we have, um, We'll probably still be scouting around. I really want to see more modern propeller cars. I know, I know it's not going to happen. They're Dr. They're Dr. Seuss status. We're now. beyond it. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we're past all that. So, um, here's your chance, you guys, to take a look at, a closer look at one of the little known, um, but tremendously, I think, uh, popular, uh, attempts to change the basic DNA of the car. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's one of the uh, it's one of those examples where you can look at it and say like, well, this guy had a pretty good idea at the time. I mm-hmm. uh, just why didn't it work? Why didn't it take off at the time? Take off. There you go. Hey, why didn't it? Why didn't it? Nice. Why didn't it take off the way it probably should have? And uh, maybe formulate your own conclusion there. Because sometimes ideas don't fly, <laughs> yeah, no matter how many propellers they have. Oh boy. I know. We're getting all text yeah, out yeah, let's this wrap one. It up. All right, we're wrapping it up. So, guys, uh, Scott and I are heading out of here. If you want to contact us, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter. You can also check out our blog. And if you have questions about anything automotive, go to HowStuffWorks.com or email us at CarStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.
What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.